You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Today, um, we're going to be looking at Ephesians 3, and let me just briefly recap the, the last two chapters we've, we've looked at. Week one was about unity. Is the key points we looked at is Paul, who wrote Ephesians, he encourages us to be faithful followers. Be faithful followers. He says, Ephesians 1.4, God loves us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault. He chose you. He chose you. He adopted you into his family. And then we had a quick look at unity. It was the overarching theme of chapter one. Our unity is in Jesus. It's because of Jesus, and as we keep our eyes on Jesus, that we can keep on keeping on, but also keep on getting on with each other. One of the primary ways I think we see spiritual attack as churches is through the disturbance of our unity. The enemy attacks our unity. We start tripping over each other and falling over each other, and we've got to be on our guard for it. That's chapter one, and then a few weeks ago, we looked at chapter two, and that's about being fully alive, fully alive in Jesus. Ephesians 2, verse 1, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, but now, but God so rich in his mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead. It's not only by God's grace that you have been saved. You are not who you were. I did this whole box illustration thing. You can go back and watch it to explain it. But in a nutshell, it's because of Jesus, everything has changed. Our realization of our whole identity has changed and now we can live fully alive. And it says in verse 10 of chapter 2, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things that he planned for us to do long ago. Now that's roughly where we're going to pick things up today. God has created you anew in Jesus to have purpose. We're going to be looking at purpose. What, what is it to have and to live in purpose? Now that you know who you are because he chose you, chapter 1, he chose and adopted you. And now that you know that and can be alive, or at least know that you can be fully alive in him, we've got to live that out. We are called to be people that live with purpose. So the whole backdrop to this series is I want to drive home. Keep on. Keep on keeping on. Keep living with purpose. Keep on living with purpose. If, if you just for a minute, if we just reflect, what is what is purpose? Have you ever wrestled with having purpose in your own life? What's my purpose? What am I about? What should I do? What job should I do? What will I ever become? And at various life stages, that can either steady you or it can wobble you. Your whole identity might have become your job and that might then be stripped away or it's not fulfilling or you might have a health issue that is is just robbing you of that or maybe you head towards or you've just retired and your whole purpose and identity is thrown in the air we can wrestle with purpose what what causes you to keep on what causes you to keep going in your faith to have that resolve to just keep living it out well i I think chapter three of ephesians is really helpful to ponder as as we think about purpose 
And this chapter in this book is so rich. Honestly, we're skimming over it. We don't have time for it all. So I'd encourage you to, to dig deeper. Spend some time dwelling on this and looking at this. But there's, there's three things I want to pull out today in the context of purpose. And when I was thinking about this, I became aware. I don't think I've done a talk in quite a while where all of the points began with the same letter. So for those of you that feel, oh, we're missing out. Like, what's going on here? Don't worry. I'm back in a big way. Um, so three things, privilege, power, and people. Privilege, power, and people. And before, before we jump in, I just want to share a story with you that I think illustrates, it kind of fits over the top of this whole thing that I want to talk about today. So rather than numerous stories, there's this, this kind of lands it a little bit for me. A couple of weekends ago, on, on a Saturday night, I'm, I'm sat eating my tea, um, which for some of you I realize is a north-south thing. There may be an element of confusion here. I'm eating a cooked meal in the evening at about six o'clock. And um, I know it can be complex depending on where you were born, but that's what's happening. So I'm eating my tea, which is my evening meal. And I normally do everything within me not to reveal names of the people I'm talking about. or I always ask their permission, but there's, there's no way of avoiding it today. So we just had Johnny and Bex up the front. You know who they are. But Johnny phones me up, and I missed the call. And... Um, we're eating, so I thought, I'll phone him back. And um, you know when someone calls you and you're like, it's not that he would never call me, but it was just at a time where I'm like, you wouldn't normally call me at this time of day. So I started thinking, well, that's, that's funny. So I just texted him back and said, are you okay? And he said, no. So I thought, oh, gosh, I need to phone him. Um, so I phoned him up and, and Bex answered. And I'm instantly aware she really doesn't sound well. So the short version is their son, Theo, who you've just seen, is, is nearly one. He's got food poisoning, and they've both got food poisoning, and they're really not well. Now, they're struggling to look after Theo because they're so unwell. Now, the added complication was they were in a hotel in Falkirk up in Scotland because they'd been up there for a wedding. So the conversation kind of went like this. We're not really sure why we're phoning you. And we're not sure what you can do, but we need help. And I thought, you need help, but I'm not sure what I can do. Um, so anyway, two years ago, at Cause to Live For, which is the Young Adults Conference in the Vineyard, a couple of guys from Falkirk were there. And afterwards, the guy who leads the church emailed Steph and I just to say they had a great time. Thanks for all you did to help make it happen. Then last year at Naturally Supernatural, as we're walking past the burger vans, we, we saw them. And our kids were hungry and getting hangry, so we just kind of had to walk on by. And had like a literally like a 10-second, hi, you lead Falkirk Vineyard, nice to see you thing. Anyway, in the context of church, I think those interactions kind of mean that we could call them our best friends and phone them up and ask them for a favor. So um, I tracked him down on Facebook. And, and I did that classic. I didn't tell him what I wanted. I just said, hey, you don't happen to be free, do you? And uh, he's like, fire away. So I give him the story. It's like, there's no backing out. I know you're free. So I said, there's a couple of people in our church who are in a really bad place. They've got food poisoning, and so is their son, and they're struggling to look after him. Now, I didn't ask them to do anything. I just did the classic again. It's probably a bit naughty. I was like, do you have any thoughts? You know, what we might, what we might do? 
And he said, oh, give me, give me Johnny's number. And he texts me later to say, I agree. I think they're in, a, they're in a bad place. And he texts me half an hour later to say, we've, we've gone to see them. We're going to take them back to our house. We can't leave them like that. We'll reassess in the morning. Now, I was thinking, wow. So a couple of people that I don't really know are now going to take in three people that they don't really know who were really quite ill and they don't fully know the details and I don't fully know the details, but they're taking them in like they're family. Now the next morning, this was the bit that blew my socks off, if that is even a thing. Um, he, he texts me to thank me for the privilege of being able to serve us as a church. And he said, thank you for giving us the opportunity to be there for them, how blessed we are to be part of this vineyard family. Now I'm thinking, hang on a minute, hold the phone. I, I should be thanking you. So I, I spent the morning, I came here on the Sunday morning, I spent the morning kind of pondering, what on earth are we gonna do? They're really ill. Some guys that I don't really know, I've just taken them in and looked after them, but how on earth are they gonna get home? They drove up there, but they're like really ill. So I was chatting with one of you and you said to me, what are you doing on Monday? And I was like, well, I'm not really sure, but I'm kind of working out I'm going to try and get some people home who are up in Scotland home. In the moment of that conversation, they booked a flight to Scotland to fly up to then drive them home and they brought them home that night. Honestly, I love being part of a church family. I, I know, isn't that amazing? Isn't it phenomenal? to be part of a church. Chapter 1, verse 5 says, God has adopted us into his family. Chapter 2, verse 19, you are members of God's family. Not just a local family, but a national family and an international family. Can you think of anywhere else other than the church that you would get that kind of relationship? It's something... Something else, verse 19, you're members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We're carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord through him. You Gentiles are also made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. We are a family. We're a family with a father and the father of the house is Jesus, the cornerstone on which it is built. You know, as we dig into chapter three, I couldn't not mention that. I couldn't not look back on chapters one and two because as we start chapter three, verse one, it says this, it says, when I think of all of this, that's how it starts, when I think of all of this. When we read chapter day, Paul is saying, when I think of all of this, you've, you've got to look back at chapter one and two because it's in the context of that that he builds everything that we're going to look at today. So let's read chapter 3. He says, when I think of all of this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming by the way that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to the you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into God's plan regarding Christ. God did re not reveal it to previous generations, but now his spirit has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of the blessings because they belong to Christ. 
Jesus. We're not going to have time to grab hold of all of this, but let's just pause at verse 7. The, the next bit, verse 7, says this. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. The first P in purpose I want to look at today is privilege. Keep on keeping on. Keep on living with purpose because it is a privilege. Do you see it as a privilege? Paul's under house arrest in Rome for preaching about Jesus. The religious leaders in Jerusalem who felt threatened by Jesus' teaching and they didn't believe in the Messiah pressurized the Romans to arrest Paul and bring him to trial for treason and for causing a rebellion among the Jews. Paul appeals for his case to be heard by the emperor and he's away in trial. And it's still a privilege. It's a privilege, he says, not just to share, share Jesus, but to serve Jesus. And he serves him by spreading the good news. It's part of our mandate as a church to share Jesus, to share the good news. It's not just news, it's good news. It changes lives, it transforms society. It's not just for our keeping, it's for our giving away. And Paul says it is a privilege, despite the cost. I, I wonder, does it sometimes feel costly? Because Paul is in prison for this thing. You know, some of the stories I told you at the start today, they're, they're costly for people. There is a cost. Now, Paul is talking about sharing Jesus and it's been a privilege. I believe it is, but I believe it goes a bit further. Living with purpose makes the whole of our lives a privilege. To live out a kingdom mindset, does it sometimes come as a cost to you? A sacrifice of your pride, your time, your desires, your wins, to lay them down and lay them aside and say, I'm not going to live that way. I'm going to live the way that Jesus has called me to live. Does that feel costly? To invite someone you don't know, to get on a plane for someone, to share your faith in the workplace, to take a risk of inviting somebody or someone to something, to risk to initiate a conversation with somebody else and showing your faith, to learn to love those that don't love you back, to decide that this isn't an age or a stage thing, but this is about an expression and an extension of the kingdom of God and his reign and rule among us. Does, does that sound costly? Well, Paul says it's a privilege. You know, when we find purpose, when we realize that we're chosen and we're adopted, when we realize who we are in Jesus and our standing with him, and we start to understand our purpose, and rather than that be a drain and a cost and a burden and a hardship, I think it starts to become a privilege. Now, before we dismiss it, and we say, yeah, but Paul doesn't really know, Paul in the Bible, he doesn't really know the burdens and the challenges and the unresolved complexities in life that I'm facing right now in my context. Well, this is the guy who in Corinthians, he says this. He says, well, I've worked harder 
I've been put in prison more often. I've been whipped more times without number and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced dangers from rivers and from robbers. I've faced dangers from my own people, the Jews as well as the Gentiles. I've faced dangers in the cities, in the deserts and on the seas. I've faced dangers from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long, enjoying many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty, often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then beside all of this, I have the daily burden and concern for all the churches. I'm like, well, how's your day going? Because in comparison, I'm, I'm, maybe it's a privilege. I've, I kind of think Paul knows what he's talking about when he says it's a privilege. You know, the guys in Scotland, they said thank you for giving us the privilege of serving Johnny, Bex, Theo and you as a church in Manchester. I came away and I, I was like, Lord, would you make me more like that? Would you embed in me a kingdom mindset that that degree of purpose and focus of what it is to be a family? You know, I, I celebrate what we do see. I celebrate what God is doing among us. But I press in for more longing that it would be multiplied. The, the privileged mindset reverses the self-centered mindset. The guys in Scotland could well have said to me, well, do you know what? We don't really know you. And we don't really know them. We've got enough to do. We've got our own plates to spin. But they said, you know what? It's a privilege to serve you. We, we need to, to move, I think, from where we are often to see it as a privilege. Do you see it as a privilege to be able to do church together? Do you see it as a privilege to serve other people's needs? Do you see it as a privilege to do the thankless task? A privilege to find ways to join and form community that allows us to share the love of God with each other and the world around us? Is it a privilege to be in the job that you're in despite the challenges that you're facing? Do you see what I mean? I think it's a very different way of viewing things compared to constantly counting the cost and seeing the hardship, to be renewed in our thinking and our mindset to see it as a privilege. Before we move on, let's just read the rest of the chapter as I want to jump around a bit and I think if we've read the whole thing it's going to make more sense so verse 8 of Ephesians 3 though I'm the least deserving of all God's people he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone the mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because of Jesus and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I am suffering for you so that you should feel honored. 
When I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything, in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious and limited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow deep down into God's love and keep you strong. And you may have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high and how deep his, his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to God in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. What a passage. The, the second P in purpose I want to talk about is power. Verse 7, God's grace and mighty power. I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading the good news. How often do you find yourself thinking, we've got to do this thing alone? We've got to summer up, summon up the courage, the boldness, the, the willpower, the desire to keep living out our faith, to show love in the face of fear and challenges, to overcome some of the challenges and obstacles and struggles, to press through the doubts and the insecurities. How often do we think we have to do that on our own? Because I'd much rather access the power that is found in the presence of God. Rather than do it in my strength, I'd rather come in weakness and say, do you know what, I, I can't, but you can. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I'm weak, then... I'm strong. Verse 8, Paul says in this passage, though I am the least deserving of all God's people, though I'm the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. He's got such a healthy perspective. He means that without God's help, he'd never be able to do God's work. Verse 9 gives him that healthy perspective, I think. He says, I was chosen, it says. I was chosen to explain this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all kings, things, had kept secret from the beginning. He wasn't making it about him. He was making it about God. He found a security in his identity of being chosen. The more we empty ourselves of ourselves, the more we are able to fill ourselves with the power of God that is able to work through us. We read this passage with the understanding that God's purpose for us is to have the power that is available to us. It says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you within the strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down in God's love and keep you strong. I love that wording, that he will make his home in your hearts. Your, his roots will grow down in you and make you strong. That's, that's power. 
keep on keeping on. Keep on living in the power of God as he makes you strong. To do that, I think some stuff has got to go. For him to make his home in your heart, some stuff has got to come out you and off you. The anginess, the bitterness, the self-centered living, whatever it might be. So that the power can be displayed in you. Verse 18, that you may have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how high, how deep is the love of God. This, this is about knowing that we're chosen, we're adopted, we're loved, we're made alive, alive in Christ. If, if you don't know that, let him give you the power to know that. If, if you don't know, as it says, all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love for you is, ask him to show you that. that you would have the power that comes from God to experience that and understand that. That you would have access to the strength or the power to know it and to understand it. You know, Jesus didn't choose his 12 disciples to be his associates and his companions because of their faith. Their faith often faltered. He didn't choose them because of their talents or their abilities, none of them really stood out as having unusual ability at all. The disciples represented a wide range of backgrounds and life experiences, but apparently none of them really had any leadership potential or any more than anyone else of the time or of the day. The one characteristic you could say that they all shared was a willingness to obey Jesus, a desire and after Jesus' ascension, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered to carry out special roles of growth in the early church. We, we should not be people that disqualify ourselves from serving Jesus just because we don't have the expected or maybe what we might see as the desired credentials. Being a good disciple really is just a simple matter of following Jesus with a willing heart. And Paul says in this passage, verse 20, now all glory to God. He doesn't say all glory to us, all glory to God who is able. It's him that's able to do this through his mighty power that is at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Power, 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 but from his presence. I, I know what I want more of. I want more of his power that I find in his presence. Let's just cap this off before we move on to the, the final P. Verse 12, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. That's how we access this. It's not through our doing, through our ability. It's because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, we can come boldly and confidently into his presence. We, we don't quite have the time for it now, but goodness me, have I personally seen more of Jesus this week. We need his presence. We need more of Jesus in our lives because it's where his powers it, power is. Then verse 13, it says, please don't lose heart. Don't lose heart because of my trials 
I'm suffering for you, you should feel honored. Don't lose heart. I think that's another way of saying keep on. Keep on keeping on. Do you face setbacks? Do you get pushback? Sometimes do you find it a real challenge to live out your faith? Don't lose heart. Keep on keeping on. Seek ways to press into the presence of God and let his power strengthen and encourage you. Final P. People. Verse 19, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Our desire for you is that you would come into the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Do you long for that? To come into the fullness, to, to, to do that, to see that, to be fully alive, to live it out. We, to see that embodied among us, we need each other. We need the people of God. We're the people of God living in the community of God, experiencing the power of God through the presence of God. You know, in union with Jesus and his empowering spirit, that's how and where we're made complete. We have the fullness of God available to us. But we must appropriate that fullness through faith and through prayer as we daily live for him. And Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, I think, is really the same for us. You can ask the Holy Spirit to fill every aspect of your life to the fullness. That's his purpose for you, fullness. Not partial, not half full, but fullness. Verse 10, God's purpose in all this was to use the church, to use the people of God, to display his wisdom and its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. We jump on verse 20, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work in us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church. Glory to him among the people of God and in Christ Jesus for all generations, forever and ever. Amen. We are being shaped and created to be people of God. Now, yeah, admittedly, many differences culturally, jobs, life stages, all, all sorts of things, but with the same Father. Have you ever thought of it that way? We have the same Father. We're adopted into a family where our Father is the same, and therefore our identity has been formed collectively into the image of our Father. I don't know if you've seen this in the natural with family members, but aren't they the ones that normally require the most patience? the ones that can press your buttons faster than anybody else. They see you at your worst. They often see you when your guard is down. And I think we need to remember that. But we're a family with the same father. So it's a privilege to work through, to get over some of the challenges that we face, to seek to live in unity, which is everything that we saw in chapter one. It's how and where and why we're made alive in Jesus that we see in chapter 2 and we start to realize that there's so much more than we're currently seeing and living for. And now it's in chapter 3 that we start to realize we have purpose and we can live that out together as we live and seek to live out the fullness of all that God has for us. So my 
longing for us this morning is that we realize some of that purpose, that we keep on keeping on, pressing into it. Can I encourage you, see it as a privilege to live in the power of his presence and commit, commit to his people as fully as you know how to each other. Because we need the people of God. It's the people of God that start to reveal to us in the presence of God, the power of God. That's then, I believe, what causes us to radically love not just each other, but as the passage says, start to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Not just for ourselves, but as we engage with those in this city. Why don't we stand together? Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.